If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. I know it's been a while, it's been about a month or so since the last podcast, but we're back. Uh, finally, uh, I was a little bit busy with law school finals, thankfully done with the finals, officially, I guess, graduated from law school now, finally done with that. And now I can kind of get going, focus more on the podcast, but with all the lack of sports that's been happening, there hasn't been, there hasn't really been a need for many podcasts, uh, to fill the time. But one of the, one of the things that's really caught my eye over the past, I would say, four or five weeks or so has been The Last Dance um, chronicling Michael Jordan uh, and the 97-98 Bulls that last season as they completed their second three-peat, their sixth uh, NBA championship. And I have brought on Andrew Ramondi to talk and discuss about his thoughts on The Last Dance. So, Andrew, welcome back to the pod. Yeah, hey man, thanks for having me. It's funny, I know we haven't done one in a while because even off your intro, I had like three things I wanted to say. First, congrats, man, on graduating. I'm congrats, to but you also too. like, did we graduate? I don't know exactly. I'm like, are they going to send back, us something to make sure, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, our school isn't really doing anything? But I'm like, I, I guess I'll just assume that I passed all my last finals and that that I'm graduating. But uh. Yeah, it was supposed to be tomorrow, I think, but that's anyway, but but that aside, um yeah, uh you're right that there I've been excited to come back and have something semi sports related to talk about. I mean, after the the public were just clamoring for more for more pods after our Tiger King breakdown, I'm sure, but um you'd be surprised. To, you'd be surprised actually, at how you know many text funny? messages it I got. Actually, I was about to joke about it only having like 12 downloads, but it looked like it, it actually did fairly well, which, which is funny, but I think that goes to show, I mean, when we talk about this, the tiger King, that there are so few kind of things going on that you latch on to what you can. And in that vein, I'm like you where like the past four or five weeks, I tweeted about this and definitely talked to you about it. Even with finals and stuff going on, I was waking up on a Sunday and, and recognizing in myself a similar feeling that I would have to like an NFL Sunday. Like when you're going through like the first few hours of your day, like it just brings me my one L year. I would, I would get up and, and do work from like 10 to one. And then I would go to my buddy's house and watch the NFL all day. Or like, you know, the Ravens would be playing on Sunday night football. So I'd be excited for that all day. And I was having that feeling about like the last dance, like just having some sort of sports related appointment viewing, um, really uh made me happy to to be honest with you and and we'll get into the everything and break it down but i just think as a as an event um to watch in the moment it was worth it like now i think some people will go back and binge it like my parents in fact are watching it in the other room right now and i think it will turn into that kind of tiger kingy and maybe not i think we experienced it but now it's going to have legs I think we're um, so yeah. With all that in mind, excited to talk about it. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think, like, the thing about, like, the crazy thing about this documentary, for me at least, was being able to see the full breadth of Michael Jordan's career and kind of see how he, like, and I think he's become mythologized obviously because he's considered the greatest of all time in terms of the best basketball player ever. And a lot of people don't really see the struggles that he dealt with early on in his career. And they really focus on like that latter half where he ends up winning six championships in eight years. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of the people in this new generation that have grown up with LeBron James defining this generation of of basketball players they get introduced to michael jordan and what he stood for and what what he meant to the nba during that time and and kind of this personal story for me was one of my earliest basketball slash sports memories was me watching michael jordan hit that shot in 98 when i was seven years old um, at six or seven years old and hitting that shot over Byron Russell um, in the 98 finals. And I was just like a huge fan. My mom got me a Chicago Bulls starter jacket. Like I, I was just like, damn, if you should have, if you still had that, it'd probably be worth like, like a cool, I know. cool 500 bucks or so at least. I you know, would think. exactly. I wish I had it still, but like I wore it till like the zipper fell off and it just didn't, didn't work. But I was like a huge Michael Jordan fan went from an early age. And like, it, it's just kind of, it was kind of interesting for me to kind of, to see the earlier parts of his career where, where it's like this documentary really humanized that part of him of his career and of him personally. Yeah. Um, it, well, I, I have a couple things first. I love clowning on you being older than me. I was three <laughs> yep. when the, when the 98 finals were happening. So unfortunately I, I don't remember it and have even a little bit less of a, you know, even though we probably, yeah, the, our awareness was in the same spot. I don't even have that kind of peripheral awareness, but um, I, there were two so one thing I wanted to say, I, I thought was interesting in in last night's episode, they talked about this and, and I actually disagreed with it a, li- a bit and I'm not going to get into my throwing cold water on the documentary yet, but I just think it's an interesting place to start. start. They cut to Andrea Kramer, one of these kind of like ESPN people who covered it at the time. And they're like, you know, Michael Jordan didn't have social media and he couldn't like control his narrative as much as kind of modern day players um did and and i thought that was like true and untrue at the same time because on one hand on one hand yes it is true that it was a different time and he could probably hide himself a little bit better and and we can put maybe talk about that later on but on the other hand the the kind of point i'm trying to get at here is like there there's see there seems the Jordan mythology, whatever, is completely strong, is, is strong. And I was surprised by how much I knew or rather maybe even like how much I was bred by a combination of like branding and sports mythology and ESPN talk and our Reddit NBA talk to like think and know about Jordan. And I think this documentary 
in many ways kind of just serves to reinforce that. But I do agree with you for sure that like laying bare kind of like seeing the whole thing aggregated and seeing all the events aggregated in one place is cool and filling in some of where I had this maybe like kind of like black and white picture of everything, kind of filling it in with a little bit more detail and color, especially concerning like just like things he did in games was interesting. And just on, on the cultural front, like a thing I always think of with N- MJ is um, I, I used to work at, at a supermarket and I was a bookkeeper and I, w- I would close the store a lot. And one of my closing managers was, was an, an Indian immigrant and there would be like basketball games. We had a little TV and there would be basketball games on and we would, you know, kind of get to small talking bullshit. And he found it out that I found out that I liked basketball and he talked about, you know, like, immigrating here and say like the mid eighties or whatever, and basically being immersed in American sports culture and learning to love American sports culture by way of Michael Jordan, because of course, most of this, most of Jordan's career and probably it was only the last three years or so where you started to have more basketball on TV, but you know, because the bulls were, were such a force that was kind of what, people were mostly seeing and and experiencing as NBA basketball. So so I think his cultural and and impact can't you know it's it's insane to say Michael Jordan's impact can't be underestimated, but um it's kind of something I was keeping in mind as I was watching and trying to trying to dissect everything. Yeah, and it it, it definitely there was like this stark contrast to kind of like see the differences to today in comparison to what it was like back then, just in terms of like, I remember watching like the David Falk episode and like how they basically branded Michael Jordan to what he became today and how that led to like a bunch of different players seeing themselves as brand mogul type of um, entities during this time. And MJ was the first one to do that. Um, back in like the mid eighties, early nineties, um, where his, you know, the shoe takes off, like his, his association with McDonald's and all that type of stuff, um, ended up packaging really closely together, which was, I thought one of the fascinating things that I, I, it was just like, oh, wow. He like really did pave the way in terms of like financial being able to, earn like financial potential through these NBA players. And I thought that was pretty fascinating to see in some ways. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, uh, two things there, like the first you talking about how things have evolved. I mean, that one of the, like, and really the, the good thing about the last dance and, and whether it's structure, it was interesting to, because literally I was talking to my mom about it the other day because she had started watching it and she repeated a critique that I know your mom had, which was that the going back and forth between 98 and like the other, you know, the documentary functions dually as like a deep dive on this 98 season and a retrospective of Jordan's career. And I think my mom found it a little confusing uh, in whether going back and forth. I mean, personally, I don't think it's that confusing, but maybe, you know, knowing if you didn't know any of the details or whatever, it, it would be harder to get your place. But anyway, setting that aside, 
um, I thought it was interesting because Jordan's kind of career, meaning from the, his notoriety on, really does function as like a history of basketball, like part two, kind of like part one would have like, you know, the 1960s and Will and all that stuff. But they show Jordan in Jordan in the NCAA championship in, in the first episode, and there's no fucking three-point line. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it really does take you kind of through all these different pieces of history, which, which is interesting. And the branding thing, I'm so happy you brought that up because I actually think that was a – I, I mean, I'm, I'm tipping my hands in what my critiques will be on later, but I, I found that part, that stuff so fascinating and almost wish they had, they had um, touched on it a little bit more. Like when they show, um, they were showing basically that like before MJ, basically like all the players just wore Converse and like no one really thought to, you know, brands their, you know what I mean? The, the, right, right. To kind of make themselves stick out in in the merchandising aspect and how MJ changed that is fascinating. And the thing I think the documentary does, and like, it's not the ba- biggest critique in the world. It doesn't take the time to figure out how much of that was, you know, n- not that I need to know whether it was Falk or whether it was MJ, but none of that. The documentary would never go so far as to like, possibly look into the interesting idea of like, well, did all this branding contribute to, to the overall legacy? Like I'm not disputing that MJ is the goat, but this basically everything this documentary functions on is like, you know, the, the way it's presented will have you believe that MJ's greatness was the reason for every single thing. And I, you know, I think I thought we maybe lost a little bit in that respect in understanding like, the cultural moment and the Jordan's ability to control maybe the cultural and media narrative surrounding him, which it was fascinating to see because you saw, I'll end this rant in a second, but you saw, and then just see what you want to bite off of. But you also saw kind of the development of some, some modern day narratives, be it um, the MJ can't win a ring kind of thing that followed him early on in his career, which I think as you alluded to, Maybe we knew about a little bit, but we didn't know how strong it was to kind of the AC gambling thing and those kind of wacky NBA narratives to, you know, Dennis Rodman and the way he was covered and the way he would be covered today. So, um, yeah, with with all that, uh, no, I, I thought I, all of that was interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. One of the I actually have like a personal David Falk story um, in terms of meeting him. And I, I was at like a holiday party that I got invited to by my good friend, Dave. Um, and he like it was I think it was in Bethesda, Maryland, the party. And it was at like someone's like house, some mansion there. And David Falk came in and he was at the holiday party. So I end up meeting him. And this was during the time of the golden state warriors going for like, it was in the midst of that season um, where they ended up winning, I believe 73 games. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were, they were on that like really unreal uh, winning streak, winning like 24 games straight or something like that. And the game that we watched that night was when they lost to the Milwaukee bucks, I believe. Um, in uh, during during that huge winning streak and and Falk was happy because I believe Greg Monroe was 
one of his clients and he was on the buck. So it was kind of interesting to see and watch a game with him. Like it was, it was really fascinating. So that was, that's like one of my personal stories, but I was kind of like interested in that, in that part of it in terms of the branding thing. So I did like a little bit more of a deep dive into Falk and like watch like a bunch of different things about him on YouTube and how he ended up like his start was like really interesting in terms of like him going to law school at GW and he ended up interning at this company called Power Swerve, I believe, or Power Serve, I think. And he ended up like representing some of these tennis players. And mm-hmm. a lot of the tennis players at the time had their own line of shoes, whereas basketball players didn't during that time. So he was able to take that idea um, that he saw with all these tennis players and utilize it um, with his basketball clients. And I think that that was the kind of innovation that he was able to bring um to Michael Jordan and then it changed like the shoe game um for basketball players. So that was like a really fascinating like tidbit that with like deeper research that I found really fascinating and interesting um in terms of how Falk was able to come up with certain ideas. Um and I wish that I do kind of wish like you're making that critique of like like this documentary could have been probably 20 episodes and I would have watched every episode Um, or there like some type of director's cut is probably out there that Mm -hmm. I would have definitely watched with some commentary or even just having 20 minutes more at the end of each episode that I would have thoroughly enjoyed. But yeah, I think you kind of characterized the timeline pretty well in terms of what Jordan's like, like there are just so many different portions. Like it's hard. I'm getting almost overwhelmed in terms of what to talk about next. But like his early, like the early seasons, like when they're jumping back to like his early struggles with like before his first championship, were there any like fascinating time, like storylines from that time period, probably from like 84 to 90? Um, 84 to 91 before he ended up winning that first championship in 91 that you found like oh wow I didn't realize that ended up happening or oh that surprised me I I do remember that happening but like the way the story is structured it kind of surprised you I mean I think that my I I think that my take kind of was like even though they didn't win a championship in that time, it kind of, I kind of forgot. And I mean, this is kind of a a thing that probably will be forgotten with LeBron as well. And partially for some of the same reasons, like how fully formed he was pretty much from the get go. I mean, there's the season where he, he, he breaks his foot and stuff like that, but like he won the MVP in like 88, you know, like mm-hmm. he, it did not take that long for him to to establish that dominance, even in even in a time where you know Bird and and Magic were still kicking around. Um, I thought the Pistons stuff was very interesting. Like I definitely had some knowledge of that just based on. It also is funny that because this, it's funny like the way it was cool to kind of get an other side vantage point to certain things like, you know, the, the there was the, because of 
prior, just like the sports doc history and the fact that this MJ sports doc is coming very late in the sports doc boom. You know, you had bad boy Pistons notions from, from prior sports documentaries that you kind of got to see the other side of. And then later, maybe like some Reggie Miller stuff, some Nick stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think that's kind of what struck me. And that's, you know, uh, it's, it's something I just keep coming back to again and again, like watching him play is like, I mean, man, dude, like, I, I think it partially has to do, you know, I'm not trying to raise, I mean, I, I think he's pro- probably the greatest of all time, like whatever, but, um, and it's like this with LeBron too, like in any of this footage, like whether it's 88 or 98, like he just looks different though he just moves differently than the other players you know what I mean like his Mm -hmm. so it's a a stupid thing to say but like just his dominance and some of those stories like the scoring 50 or 60 or whatever the hell it was against the Celtics and and some of those performances like obviously he had to have those kind of things to be considered how he was but but watching it especially the way basketball was kind of played you know, and it's another kind of history of basketball thing. Like watching the way the game was played in the '80s, like even the way guys physically move is is kind of funny. Like before the age of like you know kinesiologist type people telling people how to run and that like landing on your tippy toes after you dunk the ball isn't isn't great and stuff like that. And I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but you know <laughs> the way well, any and I think that's where the strength of the documentary is just to turn to a critical eye in the first few episodes at least was that footage like I mean the best parts of the first I would say probably four episodes are those sequences where you're just watching MJ make crazy layups with like premium 90s late 80s rap needle drops in the background Mm -hmm. like I I could there was this uh there was this Twitter meme of like you know the you know, the Leo DiCaprio pointing at the TV while holding the beer in his hand from once upon a time in Hollywood picture. Yeah. And it was like when they play MJ highlights with a rap song behind it. And, and <laughs> I definitely felt that way as, as I was watching the early parts of the doc for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely got that, you know, especially there, a lot of people have been praising the um, soundtrack to, to the documentary and kind of, interspersing a lot of the 80s the 90s hip-hop hip-hop culture and how that kind of interplayed with uh jordan's rise in basketball i thought that was pretty fascinating too um one of the things that there are a couple things that jumped out at me and i have my notes out here like i think the most one of the interesting things in episode one was just mj staying in carolina for three years and how that'll never (laughs) happen again um, yeah, that's just like that's just the thing of the past and it just never will happen unfortunately for college basketball fans like our good friend Chris it's just like that's just such a thing of the past and if that goes into the fully formed nature that you're talking about with MJ and just him knowing like how to play coming straight from college um, I, I thought was like really interesting fascinating you know MJ could have been a blazer. I mean, that's just like, a, like <laughs> one of those things that's like, 
a well-known thing, but, you know. It is had funny to do- because I don't think it gets enough. They had Clyde Drexler. Like, the way basketball was thought of at that time, I don't think anybody is taking Michael Jordan in that in that scenario. But right, whatever. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just funny. Like, I just had yeah. to respond to your rib a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, cocaine era Bulls. That was sure. fascinating. Like, <laughs> the whole team doing coke and MJ was just like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm just focusing on winning that I found fascinating as well. Um, and then I thought the, I thought the foot injury, I think in episode two, they kind of detailed his season injuring his foot and coming back. And I think this is where like some of the seeds of distrust kind of were planted with him in terms of management and ownership and whether or not they were going to give him the best chances to succeed. And I, I found that part fascinating because I think inherent, like once that situation ended up happening where, you know, Krause is coming down uh, from the stand and telling, I, I, I don't know who the coach was at the time. I was it Collins or the coach before that, but telling the coach, like, you can't play in his 15 minutes. Yeah. That was up, Collins. I'm pretty sure. Yeah his 15 minutes is up and MJ's just sitting on the sidelines with like 30 seconds left um, before Paxson hits the shot to send them to the playoffs. Like that is just, I I think it's fascinating. Like, and it, it shows like even till this day that there is that difference in relationship between management and management owners slash ownership and players and the coach and what would be best for the organization versus the team. And I think that kind of gets us into this place of, like, um, your thoughts on, like, Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf, and, like, this their relationship with Jordan, Scottie Pippen, um, and Phil Jackson, and how that ended up kind of um, – kind of, uh, I guess displaying what this whole documentary was about and entitling it the last dance. Um, and that, and even at the time in 98, how that it was a well-known thing that this was pretty much their last go around uh, for the season. So I, I thought that was like an, a, a really good way to kind of show how the seeds were already planted all during like that time. Yeah, no, far back. sure. It, it definitely does show that. And I think it's kind of, it was kind of interesting, actually, because I think the doc sets you up to kind of have Jerry Krause be this kind of like recurring villain sort of thing. But then it kind of just like forgets about him a little bit until the end, which I, which I don't really mind at all. But, uh, but uh, with what you were saying about like asking my thoughts on all that, I mean, it's not a particularly original thought, but the thing I just keep going to is like, you know, that in today's NBA, that would never happen. You know what I mean? The balance of power between players and, and, and their front offices um, is pretty, has tilted pretty far in the other direction. Like the idea, even the explanation Reinsdorf is giving at the end where he's like, you know, bringing back Pippen and Jordan and Kerr and all of these players, like, uh, at market value would have, uh, would have, like, our, our, our budget would have become inflated or whatever. Like, I would have loved to cut to Dan Gilbert and, uh, and David Griffin or whatever, being like, yeah, so 
Like, you know what I mean? That kind of shit, like, just wouldn't happen today. And the same thing I think I texted you after episode one. The idea of um, Phil Jackson being on this one-year lame duck contract, I mean, it does happen with occasion. I mean, I think Mike D'Antoni's in that situation with the Rockets now. But um, the idea of a coach basically just not either getting fired or extended at the end of his his contract term, especially being kind of such a high profile coach, seems pretty seems pretty wild. And you know, I'm not saying all this to like diminish the drama or say you know what I mean to nerd away the the interesting kind of human dynamics of it all. But um, it was pretty interesting that like the internal logic of all of that from the the relationships between the players to the way people would just like accept that this is the last go around. You know what I mean? In the NBA, for Christ's sake now, like even when things are fade complete, they're not fade fade complete. like LeBron going to the Lakers or something like that. It basically kind of being this open secret sort of thing throughout his last year in Cleveland. We're like, we're pretty sure, but like no one can, can say it kind of thing. Like, but it needs to be in these, super equivocal terms uh whereas it's more unequivocal when you look at the jordan stuff although he kind of had some unequivocal he had some equivocation to him too when it came to kind of the mid-career retirement and stuff i mean the fact that he even retired after 98 and i've heard some talk about this the fact that he didn't just go to another team and that some the team just didn't put all their eggs in in the basket of signing him right away is, is pretty crazy. And I think that the, the doc does kind of just like, they kind of just do write off the actual breakup with a couple title title cards. I would have maybe liked to see the mechanics of the, all of that talk. Like I would have liked to hear maybe Scotty's view of things and stuff like that, that we didn't necessarily get. Um, and then kind of at some point I'll lodge the complaint of the Jordan centrism, Jordan centrism of the doc kind of resulting in some some missed opportunities but you know setting that all aside that was kind of uh kind of my thought now what uh, I wanted to kind of throw this back at you uh mm-hmm. Kevin and then you can use it as a jumping off point for wherever you want because you said sure. this in episode one and you said this last night to me kind of this idea of like the what could have been like it would have mm-hmm. been I, I would have loved to see them get, you know, you said something along those lines. Like I would have loved to see them get seven or like we were kind of robbed of this continued dynasty. And I just kind of, I don't think you're wrong for saying that, but I do wonder if we'd look back at it with some sort of rose colored glasses for a, for a dynasty that we didn't actually have to sit through because kind of my like lawyerly, well, would you say that about was kind of like no one would ever say that about like the Warriors, right? Like yeah. no one's like, damn, we got robbed of seeing like the Warriors run it all back and you know mm. continue to dominate or whatever. So right. why do you think we say that about Jordan when we don't say that about other other basketball dynasties that have come since? Well, I think the reason why we say it about Jordan is because there's this idea of almost perfection in some Mm -hmm. ways and like when they went to the finals they never lost yeah and I think that's the I think that's the more interesting part to me at least because like could this team and 
and like people make the argument when Jordan came back in 1995 uh, in the middle of the season, they ended up losing in the Eastern Conference semifinals to, to Orlando. And like, you know, Jordan had his early struggles in, early, in, in the beginning of his career. But at the height of his powers, when he was like at his full strength, he was going to the finals and winning. So like, and and when you kind of like compare the Warriors to the Bulls teams in the nineties, like we saw the script of what the Warriors, what happened to the Warriors, and they lost to um, the Raptors and lost to um, the Cleveland Cavaliers that one year in, in 2016 during that uh, the greatest regular season that they had, and I think the reason why I said like we were robbed of it was because at the height of his powers, he won Michael Jordan won. And to see like, if he never retired, would they have like have been able to do this crazy eight Pete, which I don't think it would have been possible, but the, maybe the fantasy of even thinking about the possibilities is really fascinating to me. And that for me was why, um, I like I, me and I think a lot of people kind of wonder and pose those questions because that six for six number is such a is such a number that like so many people go back to when they talk about Jordan and his gr- greatest of all time status. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you pretty much gave a very valid answer to my to my kind of hypothetical, but being the kind of not contrarian I am I do have to point out that like at the end of the day though I wonder I don't know MJ would probably say I would have liked to run it back but I think there is some element of like not necessarily luck but like in and but maybe it wouldn't have mattered I I guess I'm thinking out loud but like in sports we really have I mean and hell MJ came back and played for the Wizards, you know, and right, right, right. that gets completely ignored in the documentary, which I'm, I'm mostly fine with. But the point I was really just going to make is like in sports, we have so few of those kind of like really perfect, tidy runs of dominance and greatness or whatever. And maybe it is better to kind of leave them wanting more quote unquote, like there is kind of a certain tidiness that I think also results in a sort of transcendence given the sort of, perfection that uh that's applied to them like does this doc exist if they come back in 898 and lose to you know i don't know who the lakers or whoever you know yeah yeah, in 99 yeah yeah and i think that kind and that this all plays into the mythology uh mythologizing of like these teams and being like there's this perfection aspect of everything and they never ended up losing so like what could they have done? And I think that's a lot of like, that's where the fa- uh, fascinating sports debate ends up coming in. Like so, on all these types of shows, like first take and things like that. For yeah. sure. So, so could I ask you a question kind of based off that to pivot up to something else? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, if, go if ahead. You, Cause I'm, I'm wondering, and we haven't talked about this together necessarily. So I was wondering what, you, and I, I think I got some, I kind of have some idea of what you're going to say, but like, what did you make of, I mean, we know all of this stuff about Jordan, the competitor and Jordan's will to win and all that stuff. And I think, I think it certainly comes through in the documentary. That's, that's a bit of an understatement. So, 
and you know that's very central to kind of what we see here i was kind of wondering do you what's kind of your reaction to all of that as it was shown in the documentary like did it did you feel like you learned you gained any insight like did it make you like him more like him less you know kind of kind of all of that how what was your reaction to jordan's personality at least as it pertained to to the on the court stuff i i thought it was interesting but i kind of knew what was <clears throat> up already yeah. like they were just it just felt like maybe this is a little controversial but boring in mm-hmm. some ways like okay he works hard and they get yeah. to the finals and win like yeah it, like every player works hard and like it, it's like it's like that quote like you only hear from the victors of war basically like every person is working hard and you know there's probably not to this might be sacrilegious but maybe there's people working harder than mj but mj has this inherent talent that you know carries him further and further it just to me like because he won that message gets replayed over and over again. Like this is what hard work can do to do for you and Mm -hmm. kind of carry you through this. And like, you know, you see this in countless, like Kobe um, was like, you know, the model number two or, you know, after Jordan in terms of like preaching this, like, the Mamba yeah. mentality aspect. Yeah, you totally like see the outlines of all that based on, especially based on what Jordan says about motivating teammates. You see, and Kobe has said this as well, that that's straight from the Jordan playbook. And I think that's, that's fairly clear. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know, for me, it was like, it was interesting to see maybe some of like the more personal interactions of like Jordan in practice, like pushing his guys to like, Hey, this is what we need to do. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, I kind of knew that already. And that was like one of the things that when you like start to study Jordan, he that that's like one of the first things people always talk about. Like for sure. Um, Before before I kind of give my take, um, what what did you make? Because I felt a lot of people were latching on to this like idea of Jordan's ability and the doc definitely highlights this like Jordan's ability to kind of manufacture these uh to manufacture these grievances and motivations to win like that because I that I thought a lot of people latched on to that so do you consider that kind of something else or did you find that and I know you don't think I know you use boring as a very like intentionally too too strong but did you what did you kind of think of that stuff? Yeah, I, I found him like a very interesting, compelling leader in terms of like his willingness to pretty much do anything to win. Like, yeah. and I, I thought one of the things that really displayed that for me was like, he literally just wanted to win no matter what. Like, and I'm going back to the example of like him only playing 15 minutes a game. Um, during that during that stretch run, I believe like during his second year that he ended up like coming second or third year coming into the league where he hurt his foot and he was like on that minutes restriction and he all he wanted to do was win and that was like that singular drive for him to kind of get him moving forward and I think 
like the way he celebrated with teammates after Paxton hit that shot against Indiana. I believe it was Indiana, like back back when they were playing back in the day. Yeah. Um, Jordan was super stoked because he was going to be able to play in the playoffs, and like that, and, and like that was kind of what stuck out to me. Like he was willing to pretty much do anything to win at any cost, and he was willing to push people's buttons. He was willing to like do certain things like to his own teammates to like be able to get better out of them. But I thought, I mean, the I, Scott Burrell stuff, I have to say, like, I think <laughs> slightly, although I enjoyed it, the glove iPad watch, like that is funny, but the Scott mm-hmm. Burrell stuff, like he's legitimately like, hilarious. The That one clip of him talking of, I think Jordan kind of like what exposing Burrell, like, Oh, he's an alcoholic or like, he's going out like partying with all. Oh yeah. I I found that pretty funny too. But um, yeah, there, it it was just like interesting to see his interactions with his teammates. I did want to talk about one thing, but Uh I want to get, I want to hear your critique. of. Well, I'm going to go into a gigantic rant. So you might want to just get your question in before I do that. Okay, just in the back of your mind. Well, I guess this kind of moves us into a different place. So go on your yeah. rant and then. Okay. And, well, and no, then... it's not a rant, but I do want to have like a soft discussion about this because I think this is a natural point. We've now been talking for at least half an hour, so I feel okay with doing it in giving like my biggest critique of the documentary, basically. By go the ahead. way, and I want to preface it by saying this, like I liked this a lot. I liked The Last Dance a lot. But I don't think it's one of the great sports documentaries all the time of of all time, and this is kind of the reason for it. I think this is the reason it's kind of a B and not an A, basically. And there's this word you might know it in some religious context, but the word is hagiography, and it's basically the writing of like the lives of saints. You know what I mean? And this is to me a hagiography. It is a Jordan endorsed. It's not propaganda, but it's a Jordan-endorsed view of the Jordan narrative. And I sound like I'm talking in strong words here, and, and maybe I'm being a little strong, but like my biggest problem was kind of in the way it deals. And you, I kind of agree with you. My, my problem is it's, its inability, as you kind of said, to, pro- to kind of project the Jordan will-to-win aspect of him in any way other than the way we already know. And I don't think the documentary needed to show that this was wrong, like to make it interesting, but I would have liked a little bit more. I would have liked a little bit more nuance and maybe, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't able to get that. Like at the end of the day, maybe every person they interviewed just said the things about Jordan that they expected him to say, and they couldn't do anything with it. But like, I thought there were a couple of examples of times where like they had an opportunity to show that this was like, and once again, I don't need the, his failures well done, but to kind of show the more human side of him. And I think the place that does come through, especially I thought as the documentary goes on, like his relationship with that security guard and the stuff about the loss of his dad, I thought the, the behind the scenes footage did show this kind of more human side of him a little bit. But I think for the most part, they ignore it and they kind of paper anything that doesn't fit with the Jordan mythology in terms of the ultimate competitor kind of gets waved away. And I'll give you a couple examples. First and foremost, 
his baseball playing and moreover his walking away to play baseball. They do give you some evidence. They give you some idea that like the death of his father combined with uh, a fatigue of, you know, the pressures of, of winning or whatever, however you want to characterize it, caused him to walk away. But like, doesn't that kind of go against the Jordan narrative? And wouldn't it have been fascinating to see Jordan have to answer the question of if you're the ultimate competitor, then why did you have to walk away for mm-hmm. for a couple years to play baseball? Furthermore, the 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 fact that every single person has to say when it's pretty that the fact that the Jordan endorsed documentary basically takes the line that Jordan would have made it to the major leagues had he continued to play baseball, despite the fact that he pretty much sucked at hitting and fielding is kind of hilarious to me. Like it was just one of those moments where it's like, come on, can we admit that he was bad at one thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And like, (laughs) even to these, even to these, and maybe it comes off at little nitpicking, but like, I thought this was a fairly telling moment. So we're doing the 98 finals thing finally, and they're showing this last shot and the, and the documentary comes to address like this idea which, which there is about the shot, that it was somewhat of a push-off of Byron Scott. Now, I'm fine with the documentary not saying, like, okay, it was a push-off or whatever, but basically how it deals with it is it shows Jordan saying it wasn't a push-off. It shows Bob Costa saying it wasn't a push-off, and then it moved on. Like, it can't even jokingly entertain. You know what I mean? Like, it can't right. even show a Utah Jazz guy laughingly saying it was a push-off. It has to be so self-serious about Jordan's greatness that it, it has to kind of paper over it. Is mm-hmm. kind of like, there were just these occasional moments where I was like, I think they're missing out on an opportunity to actually give us something, something we don't know or show that there maybe is something more nuanced than the than the narrative we want we are traditionally putting on it um and and i thought that was a little bit disappointing at times now once again that doesn't make the documentary bad or that doesn't make it any less entertaining than it was and it was certainly very entertaining but um at the end of the day i found it a little bit wanting in some of those moments yeah, and I mean, to even just add to that, like, you, there were, like, news reports, like, coming out in terms of, like, which people actually didn't want to really participate in the documentary in the beginning of, at the beginning. Like, I know, I believe I read Reggie Miller at in, at the beginning just didn't want to do it. John Stockton also didn't want to be interviewed for it, basically calling it, like, a... I, 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 I don't know the exact words. I'm actually going to look it up right now, but um, it was something like, I don't want to like hear, basically, I don't want to hear, I don't want to be praising Jordan after all the shit that he did to us, basically. Uh-huh. And that like, it's basically, it, it's just kind of interesting to see like all these players of his era, like, they're talking about like oh yeah Jordan was like amazing and he was great but like I really enjoyed like the Gary Payton like like he's just like well and even that though there is an argument to be made that the documentary refuses to even give credit it's it ends up in a hilarious 
it ends up in a hilarious moment that shows Jordan's mindset for sure. And I'm sorry to break in, but yeah, the, yeah. the document, the way the documentary treats it is almost to discount the fact that maybe Gary Payton just actually did a good job defending MJ for two games. You know what I mean? And I wish mm-hmm. we had more of that Gary Payton viewpoint on occasion, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, like Stockton basically I, – I got the quote here. He basically didn't want to participate in the Michael Jordan puff piece. And I think yep. that kind of gets to the central argument that you're making about, like, yes, it was a, like, it was a really compelling watch, um, but there is this, like, inherent feeling of, yeah, it's – all being built up like yeah like I, and crazy. once again i'm trying to i'm trying to stop short like i don't think it's propaganda or i don't think it's necessarily puff but i think it's it's the sometimes the the narratives it it, it places at its center and you know it might just be for the purpose of storytelling at the end of the day end up hurting it because i think there are moments where they could have been give it a little bit more thought at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think one of the, one of the points that I did want to make and maybe, and this is kind of dealing with an earlier point that you made uh, towards the beginning of uh, your monologue was, <laughs> uh, was like the aspect of whether or not there was anything new to be found about Jordan um, found out about Jordan, just because, do you think this documentary was like a fault of like maybe overexposure to what George, like what's been told about Jordan already and that there's almost not much new to say other than package it in a really like nice video form type of way? Because there are a lot of books about Jordan being written, like all the books, like biographies um, that were written about Jordan um, and maybe there's just like so much stuff that's already been known about him where, whereas when we watch a documentary, like, I don't know, um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on a documentary, but just like, and a documentary that maybe you have limited knowledge of going into it and you learn something new. Does yeah, that sure, kind like, of... sure, like watching the You documentary or something like that back in the early 30 for 30 days, or maybe us watching the OJ, OJ documentary. Doc, right, right, exactly. Does that, like, because there was limited knowledge of sure. it going into it, that maybe we're yeah. a little bit more impressed, or because this is the source material we're basing our knowledge off of, then it makes it more compelling more compelling of a watch. Yeah, uh, I think, I, I think, oh, could I break in there for a second? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think you are doing a pretty good job, actually, of setting up, like, it's only fair to kind of say what I think the rebuttal to my points would be. And I think you've outlined a couple of them. And there could be this. One is that idea of, like, listen, at the end of the day, they're just, I understand that you think that I'm talking to myself now. I understand that you think there is this other side or this extra stuff to to be told, but at the end of the day, there just isn't that much of it available and we have to work with what we have. And the second argument I think that could be made is, oh, I think there could be two more. The only thing that we're missing 
it could be argued, was Jordan's actual take on all this stuff. We already had everybody else's take and the sports media machine's take. So all we have is is Michael Jordan sitting in that chair with that scotch and cigar talking about himself. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's how it's as much introspection as he wants to give. And maybe he isn't capable of the the deeply human moments I want to see from him or not isn't deeply capable, but isn't able to show that on screen because at the end of the day, who he is and who he has been, it's who he has been. So all we can see is that kind of in motion. And I think the third argument would be that like at the end of the day, this was more of a service to people who maybe didn't know the full scape of the Jordan legacy or was kind of a, not nostalgia, but like a really good way to remind people and make them kind of reflect on these things for the people who maybe did witness it in the moment. Right. And I think it's like, uh, like to your third point, like that's where this is kind of, this is the, this is for that type of audience that doesn't have the full grasp or scope of what Jordan's legacy actually is. Mm -hmm. And people that a bunch of my friends that aren't into sports but or are into sports and have like a knowledge about basketball don't really understand what Jordan meant to the NBA during that time and I think this is kind of given them the full breadth of like his legacy and I think that that's ultimately how I see um, this documentary being portrayed because like if you didn't know anything going into this and you're just watching it with fresh eyes without having any prior knowledge about Jordan Jordan I could see this being like one of the most compelling things like to watch um, just in terms of like wow this is like who this person is yeah for sure um, no yeah I but, think that's a very reasonable point but there are I mean there were like moments like Maybe his kids didn't want to talk, but like, dude, that was one of, of my critiques. Also, you can't get his fucking wife on camera to talk about what he was like as a family man. You well, know what I mean? Well, he was like, I know he's on his second marriage, so that might 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 complicate okay. things well, okay. in terms of like an right, right, okay. or an ex wife or something. Right, but like his grown kids, like just like kind of humanizing, like, yeah. hey, like, hey, this is how he was. Like, I kind of wanted to see a little bit of that like what type of father he was um or is uh to his children and like some of the lessons like some of the lessons he's drawn from his father to kind of pass on to his children um I I don't know maybe that maybe that was just asking too much and maybe he didn't want to delve into his personal life no you're right And Um, and I think that's true I and I think you see that in the moments where I'm so sorry to cut you off I just no no go ahead we cut you off but I do think and we're kind of piling on a little bit now um uh, and I will get back to talking about just like the whatever I'm sure but like I do think it kind of pulls up I saw a great tweet that someone was talking about like it doesn't even do necessarily, it doesn't necessarily even show. Obviously, we know his father was a hugely inspirational figure, but it doesn't even necessarily show where the drive came from. You know what I mean? Like, we get at one story about, I, 
obviously him being cut from the team his freshman year, and you get a story that's like, oh, my dad said I wouldn't be able to play basketball if my grades weren't good. You know what I mean? Like, there are just these moments where, and the death of his father, I think, is another one of those moments where we could, and talking to his kids would be another one, where we do get, where we could have this chance to get some insight into who he is off the basketball court and it pulls up. But as you say, as you were alluding to, maybe he wanted to keep the focus on the court and maybe at the end of the day, that just didn't fit for what this piece was, what this documentary was trying to do, which I think we have now landed on talking about this for 10 minutes or so is cement the Jordan legacy and memorialize it more than give us a a new take on it. If you already were familiar with it. Totally. So one of the question that I did want to ask before we kind of talked about some of the critiques that we had about the documentary was there were a lot of peripheral characters um, other than Jordan that um, were, you know, deeply involved with the last dance with this 98 team. Um, And you kind of saw like the way the documentary worked was like they would take like each episode would feature a specific player um Mm -hmm. like uh, the the most important um players that were part of this dynasty slash like this 98 team so they had like the scotty pippen episode they had the dennis rodman episode they have they had like that piece on steve kerr um you know bj armstrong had his moments too like Horace Grant was featured as well. Did you find like any of the secondary supporting characters slash cast compelling, interesting? Um, Who do you find the most interesting? Who do you think added the most to the do- the documentary? Um, I mean, I think just from a well, I think you and I both agree with our friend Bill Simmons that Dennis Rodman is not interesting. Um, <laughs> that is a that is kind of a bit of an inside joke for any any Twitter users slash Bill Simmons uh, followers out there. Um, totally not I mean, to, and I'm using that to kind of set up that. I mean, I guess with the Rodman thing, it's like it's hard it's kind of another one of those things where like almost with the Jordan stuff where like you're aware of the overall narratives of his personality and his outline. But I think knowing less about the individual things that he did kind of there, they are obviously immensely wild to see played out from the Vegas Carmen Electra stuff to, you know, the wrestling stuff. I thought the, the stuff about him missing practice was like one of the more I would I don't know if interesting is the right word but was one of the it was like a was one of the more engaging kind of off the court pieces um I thought like I just really enjoyed watching it and kind of it was a good balance of kind of like fun but also just kind of intriguing in and of itself I thought the Kerr stuff was interesting um Tony Kukoc was kind of a guy though that I I probably didn't know too much about and actually would have liked to maybe see he gets like a minute during the kind of Olympics portion and it's mostly just him getting beaten on by Pippen and Jordan and then they're like oh he's okay but you know from everything I've read 
he was actually a massive part of kind of those later later period both teams and closed a lot of games for them and kind of was this prototypical like small ball four shooting euro type you know what i mean who mm-hmm. also had a little bit of a handle um and i would have maybe liked to hear a little bit more from him but those are those are kind of the guys on the periphery that sticks in mind i mean it's kind of interesting to go back and think about how the documentary and you don't have to take this but i'll, I'll finish by saying it's kind of interesting to go back and think about how the documentary treats Scotty Mm. Um, because it almost, they almost, it almost is good. It almost fits in with his legacy a little bit because he's present. He's ever present. And the documentary definitely treats him with a sort of reverence, but I'm not left with any sort of real understanding as to what made that dude tick and what exactly he did to contribute to those teams besides obviously being very, very good at basketball. Right. And I, I, I think that with Scotty, like people talk about how good he was and, um, mm-hmm. just like, as like this player next to Jordan being this perfect fit, being maniacal on the defensive end and just being like that perfect defensive player while also being this point forward that, um, like really thrived in the triangle offense under Phil. And like they're like, I, I found like the contract stuff fairly interesting. Like what compelled that, like, obviously that got a lot of play early on mm-hmm. um, in terms of like there being like tweets being sent by his ex-wife. Like he did fine, like in terms of mit- like winning or ha- like uh, signing like a huge contract later um, on in his career and stuff like that. But like, I found that some of that stuff interesting, like how he grew up, like he ended up having, I believe two like um, disabled uh, family members that really kind of informed him of why he ended up signing that contract long-term early on in his career. And I found that part fascinating and provided a little bit more background and I like didn't he come from like a division two college or something yeah, I mean both drafted. him I was I was gonna say that both him and Rodman had wild paths to the NBA I think they both uh went to junior colleges um at least at some point um I thought his his path was something I I vaguely knew about but wasn't familiar with and it kind of is interesting to think of that in the context of like did those kind of like humble beginnings end up making them kind of the perfect foil to the ultimate superstar type in Jordan is kind of something that's interesting to ponder for sure. Right. And I think, I mean, and this is like kind of my long winded way of getting to my point of like the central theme about this documentary pointing to Jordan's legacy throughout all of this, because I, the two moments that I think about when I think about Scottie Pippen and how he's characterized in this in this documentary is the 89 game where he ends up having the migraine, I yeah. believe, in game seven against the Pistons, I believe. Um, like, and he was basically like, I can't go. So Michael takes over and ultimately they don't win. But you know, like it kind of was like, oh, here's Michael. And then the 98 game where his back clocks up. And, yeah. and, and then it's just like, 
here's Michael riding, riding on his white horse, coming to save the day type of thing. And I, that like those two moments kind of was like, to me characterized, like while Scotty was deeply important in the, to the formation of this team, like ultimately Jordan was able to overcome some of the things like adversity that maybe separates Jordan compared to Scotty. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. And that stuff all probably is true, but it also should be noted that especially arguably he had had game winners and and buzzer beaters, even in the playoffs and stuff, obviously the Craig Elo shot uh, against the Cavs is, is notable, but it should be noted that prior to the 98 finals, the two game-winning final shots are made by Paxton and Kerr. And the documentary does give those, I think, the proper, you know what I mean? The documentary definitely could have gone down the route. And this, honestly, is something interesting to consider today in our starter-driven culture. I mean, I think LeBron has a couple moments where, like, he passes in those situations. But kind of this idea of, like, the I, I'm making two points at once here, but the documentary could have gone down the road of like, Michael was such a selfless player that like he was willing to pass in that situation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when it doesn't, it is a little bit more matter of fact about like he was covered. So he passed and then it gives current packs in both their moments. But the kind of the ancillary point I was making at the same time was like, would that ever happen in the NBA today? You know what I mean? Like yeah. does a star actually, pass in that situation like in kind of are you could almost argue like the post Kobe era would that ever ever happen but besides that um I think it does the point I was trying to make I was ultimately trying to make a positive point of I think the the documentary does like give most of the players like their their moments in the sun where they're where they're deserved and I appreciated that right and I and I even just like like I'm just thinking of another moment with Scotty was like when Jordan retired and Scotty, like they drew up the play for Tony Kukoc at the end of the oh, game. Oh yeah. And Scotty was just like, yeah, I'm <laughs> sitting out. Like, I think that was, I think that was like another example yeah. of this, like yeah. Jordan would have never done that type of thing. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, true. like Jordan would have gotten the shot, like drawn up for him. And like, he would have never like, ha- like in quotes, quit on his team type of thing in that moment. That so like, true. and it's like I think they kind of like are displaying like while Scotty was a great player, this is what made Jordan even greater. Yeah. And that and that like that was the central theme to this doc. I I texted you yesterday to kind of move on and talk about another supporting player. Uh, how the that Steve Kerr um story ended ended up making me tear up, um, just because of you know the emotion that he was able to display, you know after like his dad's death and all the things that really drove him to to what he needed to do, especially like. Um, talk, him talking about like some of the limited capabilities that he had as like an athlete and like like that underdog type of mentality I thought that was like a pretty compelling story that I knew the facts of but like when a face is put 
to like the story and the way he was telling it on video, I thought that was really powerful um, and pretty cool to watch. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I really, I just echo everything you say. And he's obviously, I think, the, ironically, the thing that makes me most emotional hearing that story um, as the first time I heard it is just like knowing that he's obviously a really great guy and like, you know, without going too deep, like having all that stuff happen to him and still being willing to kind of be arguably, I mean, at least from the coaches, white people side, um, one of the, <laughs> you know, I, I was, wasn't was saying that flippantly. I was saying yeah, that yeah. More, honestly to like not diminish that LeBron and black voices in our political, you know, climate are, are incredibly important, but like his kind of level headedness and smarts and thoughtfulness and all that having come from that sort of tragedy, like is kind of a thing that, that certainly gets me a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another like supporting cast player, like the Ronman stuff is like kind of crazy. Like the one moment I think of is like, he's drinking a Miller light. Yeah. Getting on a motorcycle. Getting on a that motorcycle. was an incredible moment. Like it, there's no problem at all. Car- like the first time Carmen Electra shows up and, and is getting interviewed was kind of jarring for me. Like, Oh wow. She's like on screen and talking about that experience with, you know, with Rodman and all that stuff. Can I, can I just make one tiny point? The the drinking in general, and like, it does make me wonder of like what the drinking culture is like for NBA players today really does fascinate me because like without getting into like flu game stuff, I do want to talk about that now from the hangover perspective, but I thought what they have to say about it is so interesting, but like, Jordan obviously liked to party a little bit and stuff like that. And isn't it so interesting when like there's that, I think, I don't know if it was before game six or whatever, but there's this behind the scenes footage and he's like, yeah, I had a couple of beers last night, smoked a cigar, like played the piano or whatever. Like you're drinking the night before a finals game. Like that's, and it's not to say like that's bad or whatever, but like it, I just thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like the, there's a lot of like um like uh those long form pieces about like some of the drinking culture in the NBA, like the wine culture and stuff like that, like how all these players are into like wine and wineries and like pop is like a huge proponent of it. Like D Wade I know is like a big like wine guy vino guy. So it's like it's kind of interesting to think about the drinking culture and like how that affects performance and and it definitely evolved though but like there's a difference between having a glass of wine at night and like yeah i had four miller lights before i went to bed last night and now i'm playing finals yeah for sure so i I thought that was fascinating um one of the one of the secondary players that i found really interesting and he wasn't necessarily a player but they did like that whole episode on phil jackson i thought that Mm -hmm. was like um, that pulls back the curtain a little bit in terms of like who he was as a person. Like a lot of people know him as the Zen master and what he like did to get the most out of this team. And like, ultimately what I learned from him, it was like, he worked with people on the team in different ways. And, yes. and like, like that was clearly, you know, seen with Rodman and like his, like, like being able to take a vacation for 48 hours, like that was clearly seen, but like the way he talked to Michael, the way he talked to Scotty, like there, like he used different 
methods to kind of get all of these guys to buy in. And I found that part fascinating to me. Yeah, no, I thought I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Like his, I thought his relationship with Rodman and his ability to just be like, well, he's got to do what he needs. I mean, not to like overanalyze everything, but looking back on that, it's like, oh, kind of like what we know about alcoholism and drug addiction. It's like, oh, a little bit of an enabling mindset. Like maybe they should have tried to get that some, some <laughs> the help, help yeah, before yeah. things kind of got out of control. But putting that outside, I did. I know I definitely do agree with you. And another point that I I noticed in the last episode that I thought was really really fascinating was like at the end of the the, the documentary, and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. It starts to kind of weave in this sort of thesis statement and I I agreed I thought it made a pretty compelling case with that Jordan succeeded in large part and like this is the one time I think it tries to actually add on to the Jordan mythology a little bit it's like Jordan succeeded or like his ability to succeed or like he was hallmarked by like his ability to be in the moment right like it starts mm-hmm. to kind of make this point and I think it made a, a pretty good case for that but I thought that was kind of fascinating given kind of um, uh, Phil Jackson's Zen master kind of stuff because Jackson was another guy who obviously practiced meditation and had this idea of like kind of taking things one moment to the next and like that probably informed how he dealt with people. So I wonder, I, I thought there was an interesting idea that there that maybe MJ and Jackson worked so well because they both kind of deep down had this very centered kind of one day at a time approach to them, or maybe even it trickled down from Phil to MJ in some way. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. And I, it's, it's, I don't know. I just found it like really interesting to like, see like his thoughts and like the way he like came up from like the Puerto Rican league, I believe. And then like went to the CBA, uh, the continental basketball association, and then was found by Jerry Krause to become an assistant coach on uh, the Doug Collins staff was, I thought like an interesting rise to like how he ended up getting his start and like how his different, how different ideas, he was open to a lot of different ideas um, clearly. And that was, I, I found fascinating and like informed me on like what type of like, how you can kind of like be a leader in cultivating different, in, in different ideas from different places. So that was another person that I found fascinating. So Andrew, was there, there, there's a couple other things that I did want to talk to you about. Um, was there a game in there that was like really compelling to you? Just like a specific game that you're like, Oh wow. Like I didn't understand like, the closeness of it or like, well, I think you and I both, and we can, I I'll zoom out a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you and I both singled out, uh, like after I thought, I thought episodes seven and eight were a little bit of a dip. I don't know why I'm trying to think of like what that covered, but I thought it kind of delved it. Like I basically kind of like every two episodes I was alternating between like, this is incredible. And like, this is good, but not great, but whatever anyways coming off that episode nine when it starts with the pacers series basically and culminate i thought that for me and you both agreed like i thought that first 20 minutes of that episode were probably the most electrifying 
individual Thanks. part right. of of mm-hmm. the of the, of the doc. Um, and I've just really, I don't know if it has to do with me kind of seeing myself in this kind of, I don't think I've underestimated, but in this like slightly annoying, but good at what I do confidence. And maybe it reminds me of like the way I used to play basketball or something, but I really find some sort of weird kinship with Reggie Miller. And all of that, all of that is to say that I thought the Pacers series culminating in, in, Pacers game seven was the was the basketball I found most uh, most compelling and why I, I I don't know I just I think the closeness of it of it matters and like this idea of like the Bulls like kind of being pushed to the brink in this in this last great challenge by kind of a weird team like you see like Chris Mullen like and he's kind of fat and he's old and you're like he was still playing then you know what I mean like. Mm-hmm. And, Rick Smith and shit like that um, combined with kind of the interesting dueling personalities of MJ and Reggie. Uh, I, I was really into that. Yeah. I, I mean the episode nine first 20 minutes, I, I just texted you like right after that finished, went into commercial break and I was like, that was incredible. Yeah. And like yeah. that, like that's all I really needed to say. Um, yeah. I totally agree with you. I found like the, the Pistons bad boys stuff kind of interesting too. Like, yeah. Um, I think like when, especially when the bulls finally got over the hump, like the classic, like all the Pistons ended up walking out and that, yeah, what like did you make of all that. Like I found it fascinating to kind of hear Jordan side of things because we had seen the, I, I'd seen it at least from like the bad boys Pistons like doc that they had on the 30 for 30 on ESPN and like Isaiah's reasoning and all their reasoning behind it. And it was kind of like uh, Isaiah gave his, gave his um, explanation for it in the documentary. Um, but it was really fascinating to hear like Jordan's like disdain for, for Isaiah and like just, how he like while while he was deeply competitive he really cared about like honor and like yeah. respecting the the competition yeah um, and, at the and, end and i'll say and i'll say um that i actually I, I that's another one of those moments where i actually believe mj on that like it's all the behind the scenes footage like there's so many moments where like it's kind of interesting to see too. I thought this is why I kind of thought the behind the scenes footage got better and better as stuff went on. But like these moments, I mean, it's easy also to be fair to have great sportsmanship when you're also winning all the time. But like these moments where like he, Carl Malone and John Stockton just got blown out by, you know, still 40 points or whatever. And he comes out from behind the curtains and is, you know, being nice to them. Or he's mm-hmm. asking Reggie, you know, how his family is and stuff. Like, I kind of believe that. I mean, down to like him, I believe that he paid off his gambling debts. You know what I mean? Like, right. he seemed to be a guy who actually did respect, you know, competition in right, like right. weirdly reverent way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that was like, I think that was like clearly displayed in that moment where Isaiah was like they walked off the floor and like that, you know, that was like seed the 92 Olympics and all that whole debate. But yeah, that, I think that was like the one thing that I found compelling about Jordan's early career. And then the, the Pacers series was incredible as well. 
Um, I guess like thinking back on this, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Because yeah, like, can I, we I just, I mean, yeah. before we, before we finish up, Oh, sorry. No, yeah, I'm yeah. so bad with my interrupting. Everyone probably hates me. I'm sorry. Um, I, it's probably cause we haven't done one in a while, but, um, can we talk about like the 98, like, can we talk about that kind of game? Can we go like a five minute talk about just like the flu game to the last, to the Same last thing. kind of moments? Cause I had yeah. a couple thoughts on, on okay, stuff that happened ahead. there. Yeah. Yeah. So the first is like the flu game, food poisoning stuff. Did you know? Cause I think it was out there that it was food poisoning. Did you know that or no? I, was, I, I, I was felt like I was like, huh, I think I heard about this, but I wasn't sure kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I feel like I was aware of it. Like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was pe- – like, I didn't know the specifics of it, but I heard that it was, like, food poisoning and not, yeah. like, the flu or whatever. So, I wanted to say first, I believe that it was food poisoning. I believe that he was sick. But can I say that the idea that, like, they poisoned him is absolutely insane for a number of reasons. One, how would they have known it was Michael Jordan who was calling for the pizza? Did they call up and say, like, hi, can we have one pizza delivered to Michael Jordan's hotel room, please? Like, like how the fuck would they know that? I don't know. Yeah. I believe that multiple people came, and here's what I think happened. I think they called from whatever hotel – and they knew the Bulls were staying at this hotel. And they were like, huh, maybe we'll get a glimpse of one of the Bulls if we, if we go and look. And, and, and that's probably what happened. But it was, still, it was still fascinating. I thought that was actually one of, the, one of the moments, you know, despite all my prior critiques were like, that was one of the times where I was like, huh, we probably have never gotten Jordan being unfiltered about the flu game in this specific way. And I thought that was that whole sequence was was pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah so I, yeah i oh, just yeah. felt like i just felt like it was like it, it was kind of ridiculous to me that they would like specifically target jordan like i yeah. i don't know like how that would have worked out in the specifics i guess oh like, like what they would have actually done yeah that's what like what would yeah like, like what can you really do to a pizza that doesn't make it taste weird but still poisons a person that's a, yeah where you're like they're gonna get sick but you're not gonna kill the guy you yeah. know what i mean no um, it's insane it's it's and, absolutely it, it's bonkers like yeah, i yeah. believe that he got sick off the pizza i mean dude utah pizza i mean utah pizza 1 a.m <laughs> the only thing open so like i mean like probably getting two stars on the yelp reviews yeah like, i'm if skeptical yelp of scared. any pizza outside of the tri-state area yeah uh let alone late night yep. Utah pizza. So yeah, I yeah, and then yeah, I just found it fascinating in that way. But yeah, so, go ahead with your next. So one. yeah, so my next, I just wanted to talk about '98 and like the end and stuff like that. So I'll I'll start by asking you though, um, kind of a two parter, just like what did you obviously said you had you have more familiarity than I did. So this is actually one of those moments where you can kind of make a one-to-one connection and kind of relive the moment. What did kind of seeing that do for you? Was there anything, did it, was it as you remembered? Was, you know, or how, how kind of did you respond to it having had that prior familiarity? And I guess just like, how do you think they dealt with kind of 
that moment and then the denouement kind of, because you pretty much had that moment and then you have another 10 minutes where they're like, and they won and then they broke up and then we play this weird Pearl Jam song while saying that, like, I don't even know kind of how they end it. They're just like, and MJ is good. The end, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being, I, I don't think it's like, I kind of butchered the end of my question there, but I'll I'll just kick it over to you. You know, I like what I remembered about it was like perfection, basically. That's it. Like and like I think like when I started getting more and more into sports and then understanding like what MJ's legacy was like, like when I, I do remember when he was like, I'm coming back and I'm playing for the Wizards and like all the stuff that was on ESPN that was going on about like the craziness surrounding that and I distinctly remember having this feeling of being like no don't ruin your legacy like that like Mm -hmm. don't come back like you left off at the perfect moment at the pinnacle like there's no need for you to come back and like there's that narrative of like if you come back you're tarnishing your legacy and maybe I bought into that a little bit as a kid growing up idolizing perfection like and you kind of also have to remember like during that time like I was also a huge Tiger Woods fan so Mm -hmm. like Tiger Woods was like this young kid that like was taking the golf world by storm and then like that er, that like 2000 2001 period was when he ended up you know winning the Tiger Slam and just wanting him wanting to see like perfection and winning was like the two like big things that I remember about like that time period. Um, and when Jordan hit that shot, it was like, okay, everything's like perfect. And the, like that's all I really remember about it. Um, I weirdly remember like where I was watching that Pacers game seven game, like at a friend, like a family friend's house with like my dad and all the other dads watching the game and going crazy so it's it's like kind of funny like how it's like kind of flashing back yeah. in these like clips of memories or whatever. Um but yeah, my thoughts on it was just like this is perfection and then like the thereafter with like him announcing that he was coming back to the Wizards, I was just like don't come back please because you're going to yeah. ruin what you what you've built up. Yeah, no, totally. And actually, I mean, it's kind of one of those, I I had a couple, I thought it was ironically, like, I wasn't, I thought the, 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 the doc did a great job of portraying this, uh, and it happened in the Patriots game seven too, which is, it's kind of good that you brought that up, but like, basically that these moments had kind of this, this pressure, but also like, and it alludes to the, uh, or not alludes, but it, it kind of touches on the perfection thing you mentioned, but that there were these moments of pressure, but also like inevitability kind of Mm -hmm. like Jordan, they were going to win that game seven, despite however it might've looked like they were going to lose for whatever period of time. And you knew that Jordan was taking that shot and you knew he was going to make it. And I thought it's funny because I actually saw a tweet kind of say something similar after the fact. So I didn't feel completely crazy. I would have loved if as, and it kind of, it goes to what you're saying. And maybe I only feel this way because I wasn't there. Like 
those last two minutes, by all accounts, were so tense and exciting, and the, the the or not the exhilaration because they get a last shot at the Jazz get a last shot at it. But this shot is such an incredible moment. I would have loved to see, and I swear to God, I thought this in the moment. I would have loved to see if, like, when they kind of start building up to that last two minutes, they just let it play out. You just know what I mean? Two minutes, yeah. Just show us some fucking game footage and and throw some RC shots in it. Because that moment, as you've said, kind of, and my argument about it is kind of like, as you've said, it's so perfect. It's so incredible. It's it's such an encapsulation, and it's so great and exciting individually that it almost is disserviced by just, like, the sports doc treatment of, like, and then they – and they didn't yeah. call a timeout. Cut to, like – well, cutting a timeout, call, not calling a timeout was good and, like, whatever. And, like, Dennis Rodman being like, he certainly wasn't going to pass me the ball. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Like, and then being like, and I took the shot and I made it. And, no, it wasn't. A, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it kind of getting that sports stock treatment almost – it just didn't ruin it, but I would have kind of loved to see the integrity of that moment uh, intact a little bit more. And, you know, it makes me go back, like, maybe I, I talked about doing this with you, like – but maybe I'll do it on my own. Like going back and maybe watching that game, game six or whatever, I, I think would be an interesting exercise maybe for that reason. Because as much as I, I enjoyed that, seeing that moment, I, I almost felt like uh, I wasn't getting, and in hearing you answer that question, I, I think I'm right. in saying like, I almost feel like I was missing something. And maybe it's impossible to recapture that after the fact, but yeah, I, and I, I still feel that way. Yeah, I I think one of the things that was like the way you phrased it was like this inevitable pressure slash tension, but this almost inevitable like all's right in the world and the Mm -hmm. Bulls are going to win. Like, and like that's like a lot of people were Chicago Bulls fans back in the day just because they had Jordan and like wanting to see him succeed was like the ultimate like just being able to watch him like make that last shot was just like whoa what is going on like yeah like that's how you end a career and how you like end like the storybook ending type of thing yeah um but yeah i i would love to like rewatch game six and like go go through it with you because that would be really fascinating just just like kind of watch and be like man, this game is, like, low scoring. The pace is like this in comparison <laughs> to, like, all the other games that we uh, watch nowadays. Definitely. Yeah, so it's it's just like... Oh, uh, I, I just agree with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, to kind of, like, wrap up um, the, you know, the conversation on, on this what is the one like is there a moment that you're gonna kind of take from this documentary um in terms of like it could be a small moment a big moment yeah like, that's a shot, great but like that's is there, a great like, question man is there is there something that you're gonna take from this documentary that you're like when i think about jordan like this is how i will see him um or even just like the documentary itself. 
Well, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great, the first thing that comes to mind is weird. I think, as I mentioned, I think the last thing like cultural, I mean, I, I'm doing myself kind of a little bit. I think the last ring cultural view of this documentary and why people will think it's great is like, there's a very early sequence. It's either in episode two or maybe three where it's like the, the Celtics game. And uh, it's basically just like him scoring a shit ton of points while I ain't no joke <laughs> by Eric B and Rakim play in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that will just be something people think of. Like, I think that is a great kind of encapsulation of what, what the documentary does best. I, I, I think, and it's a kind of a silly one to say, I think the moment I pick is that Gary Payton iPad moment because uh-huh. it, it, it's just what it's what the documentary reinforced in me and like what I think it's ultimate kind of thesis statement was about. And I think it's a great, I think it's kind of the ultimate moment of simultaneously seeing Jordan's actual personality and the legacy surrounding him kind of interact in, in one place. So, so that's, those, those are my two thoughts. What, what about you? Yeah, I, I was going to say the Gary Payton moment for me was just like, that is why, like, the way Jordan sees his, sees himself in comparison to, like, his contemporaries of that time was just illuminated in that moment. Like, uh, he wasn't on my level. Like, mm-hmm. and and it was just perfectly shot, like, being able to capture his reaction and be like, yeah, like, we had it in the bag. Like Peyton could have, Peyton thinks that he had a chance, but he really didn't. And I think that was like illuminated in that moment, captured in that moment. Um, and I think one of the, the lasting uh, things that I'll pretty much remember about this is like I, the overarching theme of like, this is like it's kind of like putting this whole Jordan experience into like one perfectly encapsulated like video I guess like diary to like show like this is what Jordan's thoughts were on on this whole on his whole experience and his whole career and I think people will kind of appreciate that for years to come and generations to come that I have never seen him play. And that is kind of what I'll probably take from it. No, I, I agree with you. And it'll be interesting as we kind of head down the road to, to see not only how it ages, especially because we're in kind of this weird flux of like you having kind of like some memory, but not, but but you know not, not fully being formed fully all, there yeah. and me yeah. being kind of like but in this kind of like zone of like where his impact is still felt you know but mm-hmm. but not knowing him it'll be interesting as we get I mean Lord willing that there's actually still an NBA in that more yeah. lives whatever putting all that aside but it'll be interesting to um it'll be interesting to see kind of what it's like when like we're in twenty. 25 and MJ's closer to, you know, Bill Russell than he is to, you know, Trey Young or whoever, or Luca or, you know, Zion or whoever the next generational great player is, you know what I mean? Um, And seeing how it holds up for that next generation. And simultaneously, I think it's super fat, like, you know, 
we could go down this rabbit hole and maybe we, we, we're trying to wrap it up, but like how LeBron's what maybe is LeBron's last dance, just kind of like what he's doing now, or is there some sort of, does he have some sort of definitive rebuttal in mind down the road is kind of, kind of interesting to think about, but maybe you don't need that when you've been on Twitter your whole career and, you know, Taco Tuesday, Snapchats, and shit like that. You know what I mean? Maybe. Right, right. Although he is kind of similar to me to Jordan in the way of like wanting to coming off as kind of I don't know reserved slash you know the kind of having their personality be somewhat visible, but also being sort of controlling of the narrative is kind of something I think they have in common. But uh, maybe. LeBron has been able to do that to a greater extent where it's not necessary for a thing like this. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, two points to that. Like, you brought up, like, the young stars, like, Trey, Trey Young and, like, Zion. I, like, saw a tweet from Trey, like, man, this really makes me appreciate Jordan because I wasn't even born during yeah. that time. Like, and it just gets, it just shows you, like, you know, like, Trey Young, Zion, they weren't born when this happened. Like, and they have no context. Like, they grew up watching LeBron, and LeBron is their Jordan. And I think that, like, you know, eventually LeBron, as he, you know, starts to wind down his career and ends up retiring, he'll eventually do his version of the last dance because I think he wants to memorialize, like, what his career like Jordan did and like what Kobe was, you know, probably going to do too uh, mm-hmm. with his own documentary, because like, you know, there are reports that like during his last season, they had cameras following him and there was like unprecedented access. So like, it wouldn't surprise me if LeBron did a similar thing in that manner to like, like you're saying, control the narrative. And I think it brings about like, the interesting like greatest of all time debates that like I know people don't like to like and and they've been like rehashed all over and over again but I I think it like kind of crystallizes like things for me in terms of who I think is the greatest of all time and whether or not LeBron will ever be able to reach that peak um and you know like having different conversations with different people um, and friends of mine uh, who think about LeBron in a certain way um, because we're so far removed from Jordan's like heyday and his peak um, yeah. that it's like the, the, like we're, we're a bit young to kind of like have, have the context and understanding of both situations to really understand like what, like what Jordan meant to that era and what LeBron means to, to this era. Um, whereas like maybe someone in their forties will have a better grasp of like what Jordan meant during the nineties and what LeBron means now, if that makes sense. Yeah. But eventually we're going to be in that other elder statesman position and you know, we'll think whatever we think. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So like there, I mean, I don't think there's anything else that I really wanted to add, but yeah, I think it like brings about like, really interesting commentary for a lot of different people about what they think and how they feel. I'd actually be pretty interested to hear like someone that has never been exposed to Jordan or like 
just knows him by name, like, and what their thoughts would be on this documentary, because I think it would be vastly different than someone, uh, than, than maybe our opinion on how we see uh, Jordan and through the lens of this documentary. So maybe it's completely different. Maybe uh, we've reached the same conclusion, but... Do you want um, me to have my sister watch it and come back on and get <laughs> my sister's... Uh, a junior in high school watches a lot of Netflix, but doesn't probably know that much about basketball. So maybe I'll try and get her to watch it, and she can she can be the guest on the pod in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll we'll get her on the we'll get her on the pod to kind of react in that way. But um, Andrew, before we sign off, one little fun thing that is okay. totally unrelated to Jordan and unrelated to uh, anything sports and basketball. Um. So we've done Tiger King, we've done Jordan now, um, and this last dance thing. What are we doing next? Like, are we, is this just becoming a series where we just kind of take that, take apart documentaries and just like analyze, analyze them through the Ramondi Wu lens? Dude, that's so funny because um, I, I was kind of thinking, I mean, it's funny, but also because like, it's it's like funny to consider and actually should consider, but it's also kind of depressing to be like, well, we're just going to keep all we'll have to talk about is like these quarantine cultural events for, you know, through the <laughs> summer or whatever. Through, yeah, is there anything on the horizon? Is there anything on the horizon like as like a big event? I'm trying to think. I'm um, not exactly sure. No, no, I, 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 I don't, don't. I don't know. I think the not. I mean, knock on wood. I mean, we'll save this for another time, maybe. But I, my knock on wood would be that, like, hopefully, some sort of major sport, be it baseball or basketball, comes back before you know, a couple months or whatever, and we're not worrying about. You know what I mean? There's less of a premium on this kind of stuff. But, dude, I have no idea. Like, I'm trying to – I think there's some more ESPN documentaries. But I'm guessing – I mean, it depends how much content the, the overlords have um, have for us. But, like, you'd think some Netflix thing or whatever, if if it is going to be something, you'd think there's some sort of, like, Tiger Kingy type thing that'll just come out of nowhere. Because the oh. last dance didn't come out of nowhere, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that I was thinking of was um, – we're big. We're both big, like bon appetit foodie type of people. So uh-huh. if you're able to find some type of food documentary type of thing that maybe we could kind of flesh out a little bit, uh, I think we could kind of stamp our opinions on. Sure, man, I'm down. I mean, that was better than my idea, which was I don't know if you saw me tweet this today, but you know how there's this FX. Not FX. Yeah, it is FX, but it's on Hulu. There's this show, Dave, made by Lil Dicky. It's like kind of a like Louis style yep, show. I've where heard like of this. Yep, he plays yeah. like a, he's kind of playing a version of himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's kind. Of, I, this is very long winded, but like I hate Lil Dicky. I think he's not funny and like super annoying, and like I I've just never appreciated his anything he's done. But I'm starting to hear from all of my. Like, not all of my friends, but I'm starting to see on Twitter and, like, hear from people I like who are like, this show is actually pretty funny. Like, people pretty like good. this show. Yeah, people, people like it. Like people it. seem to really like it. And the, everything in my gut and what I know about my taste tells me I'm going to hate it. But, like, the last show that this happened, I was thinking to myself where I was like, this sounds so fucking stupid and I think I'm going to hate it. But a lot of people t- are telling me that it's good. 
is American Vandal, which ended up being like one of my favorite TV shows. So my, 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 my other, my contribution was do we watch a few episodes of Dave and, and, and review Dave? So maybe, maybe your food documentary idea has a little bit more legs. So. Food documentary idea. I loved American Vandal as well. Loved like the true, you know, the true crime documentary type of stuff. And the parody of that was really funny for me. So yeah, we'll, we'll kind of toss the ideas back and forth out. Maybe yeah, we'll come up with something. Hey, yeah. can I try out a bit on you before before we leave? I was thinking go, about this while go I was ahead. watching the documentary last night. It's okay. not a segment. It's just, just uh, I don't know if it's a stand-up comedy premise or whatever. But um, so during, during quarantine and watching Last Dance, we're getting a lot of, like, you know, COVID commercials where it's like, you know, during these unprecedented times, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just very boring or, like, not boring, but like, okay, first responders, but also continue to buy Facebook product related products or whatever. But there's one kind of strain of commercial that has been ongoing. I don't know if you've paid attention to them. There's these state farm commercials with Alfonso Ribeiro. Are you? No, I no, I'm not. No, damn it. The bit doesn't really work if you haven't watched them. Okay. But basically the idea is that like, Maybe you don't even know that it's him. It's like Chris Paul and there's a guy playing a fake oh, Chris yeah. Paul. Yeah, 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 People yeah. don't realize that it's Alfonso Ribeiro. No, I didn't know. I did not know The first time that. I saw them, the first time I saw them, I was like, I was actually, in, I remember I was in Atlantic City or something. I know my friend Eli. I was like, dude, is that Alfonso Ribeiro? He was like, no. Like, you're being racist. Baby. He didn't say you're being racist. But he was like, no, I it's not. And, like, shut me down. And then I uh, looked it up, and it was him. It's completely <laughs> Alfonso Rivera. But anyway. So, I did not put two and two together, but I am well aware of the commercial. Okay, yeah. so now you understand. So for people who haven't listened, and I encourage you to look one up so you get the full premise of this bit. It's like Chris Paul. It's like Alfonso Rivera is playing, like, a fake Chris Paul. And he's like, I'm the real Chris Paul. But he's not really Chris Paul. And the first one was just like, I think, Alfonso Riviera by himself being the fake Chris Paul. But now as the, as the commercials have gone on, we're starting to integrate fake Chris Paul and real Chris Paul. And, like, first Chris, fake Chris Paul showed up at, at like, uh, at, I guess, in OKC or in Houston or whatever, wherever he, Chris Paul's working at the time and he's trying to get in and the security people are like throwing him out and stuff. And they're like, yeah, Chris, don't worry about this guy or whatever. And then like somehow it's tied to State Farm. And now in the last one, Chris, say Chris Paul's showing up and he's like playing with real Chris Paul's son. Like he's like, I'm going to play one-on-one with you, son. And like Chris Paul's son is like, what, what, are you, what are you doing, man? And then Chris Paul comes out and is like, stop trying to be me. So, like, my idea is, like, my, my thought is, like, they are not, this man is insane. Like, they are not taking this nearly seriously enough. Like, Alfonso Riviera <laughs> showing up and, like, trying to play one-on-one with your son, like, and being like, I'm your dad. And, like, Chris Paul's only reaction is, like, man, you're crazy or whatever. Like, this guy is, like, seems like a dangerous threat. So, my, my idea for the last, I, I'm pitching that State Farm lets me direct or write the last commercial in this in this series, which is that fake Chris Paul shows up with a gun at Chris Paul's house and and murders <laughs> the real Chris Paul <laughs> in in a fit of unhinged violence. And, you know, maybe maybe we can get that 
office guy, what's that guy's name, the Oscar guy to come and like he can investigate it or give Chris Paul's eulogy or something. But that <laughs> that seems like the logical conclusion to these these kinds of commercials. Yeah, it's uh I did not even know that was Alfonso Rivero, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like he just runs away and they're just like crazy guy. I'm gonna like you're fucking trying to play with my child like get away from my children. Like uh, you came into my work, you came into my place of, of employment. Like how is he getting into such a secure facility? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, there you well, go. Well, and Andrew, thanks a lot for sharing that bit. Um, we need, <laughs> we need something to replace Korean snack corner anyway. So yeah, like cor- definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> missing it during this crazed commercial quarter is the I know, new, exactly. is the new or, version. Or Andrew's comedy bits. Like you just kind of go, like you just toss comedy bits to me and, and I'm like, yeah, or nay. It'll be like a writer's room type of thing. Uh, so Andrew, thanks a lot for coming back onto the pod. Really appreciate it. Um, always enjoy having you on. So thanks, Andrew.